I like the way you teach it. Not preachy. I like to listen up. Listen up, yeah. I like the way you teach it. Not preachy. I like to listen up. Listen up. I like the way you teach it. Not preachy. I like to listen up. I like the way you teach it. Not preachy. You better listen up. I'd like to welcome you guys in to another episode of Not Too Preachy, where you can be inspired, informed, comforted, and convicted, all from the Word of God, but just not too preachy. I'm your host, the host of this show, I'm Jason Brown, uh, but if you know me intimately, you probably call me JB, uh, as everybody is <laughs> in my house with the exception of Didi. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about some, let's, let me give some shout outs real quickly. Let's start with birthdays. A very special shout out goes to my cousin Geese, Geesela Joseph. Um, her birthday was on the 30th and I believe she turned 50. I'm not gonna call out everybody's age. I'm not gonna do that to you. Um, but happy birthday to you cousin. I will be so glad um, when I get to see you again. So glad when I get to see you again. Uh, to my, my, my partner in in Christ ministry, Grace Dada, she had a birthday on the 30th. Happy birthday, Grace. Uh, to, my, to my brother, um, not my blood brother, but to my, my yard brother, George Merchant. He had a birthday on the 31st. Happy birthday, Dre Day. Up to it, my man. Um, to a good brother of mine, uh, Pastor Kelton Wright. He's celebrating a birthday today, K-Dub. Happy birthday to you. And to one of the funniest people I know, uh, a great educator and full of personality, Angela Jones, today is your birthday. Happy birthday to you. And if I missed your birthday, um, charge it to my head, not my heart. I don't call them all out. But happy birthday to those who will celebrate, who celebrate in the past few days or will celebrate in the days to come. So happy birthday to you. Um, let me give a couple of other shout outs that are not birthday shout outs, but give a shout out. I'm giving a shout out to one of the oldest businesses in Missouri City. Uh, not just black business, but to the old, one of the oldest businesses and longstanding businesses in Missouri City. I'm talking about Roy's Barber Shop right there on 2234 between Independence and Grand Park. Look, I was so glad to see my barber, my barber um, Rod today and we went with something a little, a little new. Um, I like it. I washed it all of that stuff, but I'm constantly playing my head when I have thoughts going on. So, um, but Rod, I appreciate you, man. You fixed me up and I appreciate the shop, um, honoring the health safety, uh, of those who come in. You sprayed it down, you got your mask on, those things. It's, it's not very many people in the shop. You have to wait outside. They'll call you and all those things. So Roy's Barbershop, Mr. Roy, Rod, Mike, Jay, appreciate you all. And uh, I'm glad you guys are back in the saddle, man, because uh, I, I was needing you. I was looking kind of rough. Appreciate you, Rod. Um, big shout out. Big shout out to all the protesters around the globe who are doing it the way it's supposed to be done. Your voices are being heard. 
Houston, you look good today. Though I was, I'm a little concerned still about the coronavirus, but 60,000 60,000 people descended on Discovery Green Park and landed at the steps of the Capitol and your voices were heard across the world. So to all of you who are out there um, who are still making sure that the voices are being heard, you are prayed for, you are supported, we love you uh, and we thank you. And don't think that those of us who may not be out there in the streets, in the pavement, are not with the movement. Um, but everybody has a role to play. So we appreciate you. And we thank you. And please be safe, uh, not only as it relates to the virus, but also as it relates to those who are not out there trying to have their voices heard, but have ill intent to hijack the movement. And we know them. We see them. Um, and for those of you who are pushing back against them, uh, thank you, and we pray for your safety as well. Um, I, I, I was looking at some of it today on Facebook um, and on the news, and I just I, I know police officers. One of them rang special to me. My cousin, um, Imante, uh, is a young uh, Houston uh, police officer, and you know, I just sent him a message today to be safe because, you know, I love him. And I know we have friends and family that are that are police officers that that take pride in the job and really do it right. Um, so I, I celebrate him today because as much as there are protesters making sure their voices are heard, there are agitators trying to hijack the movement. And those are the people that put everybody in danger. And so, man, this is Monte. Just know I um, love you. And I, I thank you for, for continuing to stand strong and, and all the good cops out there. So shout out to you guys. I'm vexed. Can we lighten it up a little bit? <laughs> I'm vexed. So many, so many things to be vexed about right now. But this segment is brought to you by the 4142 Writing and Leadership Camp. What is your team going to do this summer? I know what they're going to do. They're going to register for the camp. You see the website. It's www.4142.com slash workshops. 15 hours of writing instruction that goes through the writing process in 10 sessions, 10 hours of leadership training taught by yours truly. And the goal, once they finish the program, is to have a publishable work for your teens. Yes, we are trying to publish authors as teenagers right now. But we can't get their writing in, we can't get them trained, we can't get them uh, instructed through the writing process until you commit and register. So what do I need you to do? Go and register to the website again, www.4142.com slash workshops and register your teen and save the seat. Again, www.4142.com slash workshops uh, to get some more detailed information and to save the seat. Uh, we plan on launching in June, but we need you to register. Why am I vexed today? I get a phone call, and this has happened twice in the last two weeks. I get a phone call uh, from one of those hijacked numbers. It's, it's, it looks like a number you may be familiar with. It may be a number that you didn't save. I get a call, and I answer the phone. Hello. You know, as nice as I possibly can. Hello. 
And on the person on the other line, I'd like to speak with Jason Brown. Who's calling? It's your birthday, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This is uh, a financial services or a financial matter, something like that, something real general like that. It's your birthday, da-da-da-da-da. So I replied, what's the nature of your call? Well, it's a private matter, but I need to verify the last four of your social. Is it da-da-da-da-da? Well, I'm not going to talk to you about a private matter because I don't know who you are and why you're calling me. Well, I need to verify if it's you. Are you Jason Brown and it's your birthday, da-da-da-da-da? That's happened to me. Has that ever happened to you? And I feel like, I think I may be right, and if I'm wrong, they're still not going to get it. Like you're fishing to, for information to try and, to try and get a brother. Um, it's not going to happen on this day. And so there were times when I would, especially telemarketers, where I, wasn't, where I told you I wasn't interested in your product, where I would go back and forth with them and try and keep them on the phone for as long as possible. Because as long as you're on the phone with me, you're not calling somebody else. And then I'd start talking about random stuff or even pretending like I knew how to speak Spanish just to irritate them. I decided to stop doing that because that took too much time out of the day, as much fun as that is. Try it one day. Just keep on the phone. You'll enjoy it. But I told this last person, how about this? Delete my number from your registry. Don't call me anymore until you can tell me who you are, how you got any information, starting with my phone number, and what the nature of your call is before I give you anything. You know these guys had audacity to keep going? No, I just hung up on their face. But that bothers me. That, bo- that bothers me. That vexes me that you can call me and start fishing for information. That gets on my nerves. I'm vexed by that. Here's another thing I'm vexed by. And this is going to be a short vex. People selling George Floyd t-shirts without permission for his image. I, I would hope that if you're doing that, that you've asked permission from the family or you're turning those funds back to his family in some way, shape, or form. That vexes me, but I'm not going to go long on that. I'm not going to go long on that. But you know, there are things that vex me, and today I'm vexed. Tell those people, if you know them, don't call me anymore. It might not be nice every time. They may catch me on a day where I just don't feel like being nice. All right, can we do that? Can you do that for me? Tell them not to call. Can you do that? Uh-uh. I appreciate that. Again, this segment is sponsored by the Writing and Leadership Camp. All you have to do is go to the website, www.4142.com slash workshops, and save the seat for your team by simply filling out the registration form. I was born in, um, in the Hiram Clark area of Houston. Uh, it's kind of southwest side, for those of you not familiar with it, uh, not too far from um, Reliance Stadium, Astrodome, Astroworld, old drive-in movie theater. Uh, that's where I was born. But when I was about two, uh, we moved out uh, 45 and Scarsdale. That was in like 1978. And so that's where I spent all of my growing up years. Um, that area of town then, and I'm not sure about now, but then was predominantly white. Um, I think there was a moment where my parents and there was another family around the corner where there may have been about three black families in the community where we stayed for a while and then it started to diversify a little bit, but it was still, even through high school, a very a predominantly white area, predominantly white. 
Um, a lot of good people in the community, a lot of good people in the neighborhood. Um, but many who um, maybe came up through those communities and those Sage Glen streets um, may not be aware of some of uh, the stuff that I, I dealt with uh, growing up there. I can remember um, playing football in the front yard with my next door neighbor, cool guy. I hadn't talked to him in a while, but cool guy. And we just we're, we're just playing one on one football. Just throw it up, and then you tackle. You know, one on one hot ball. And um, out of nowhere, this truck drives by, and this white guy in front of the truck pulls out his pistol and says, "Get off of that nigga! You gonna catch AIDS?" And I was I was amazed. I was I was aware of racism and racist comments by parents made me very aware of the things that were out there. There was no hiding of that. But I never really, up to that point, really remember encountering it firsthand. I think I was, I may have been in middle school, or on my way to middle school when that happened, or, or maybe still in fifth grade, I'm not sure. But I was, I was pretty young. I wasn't, I wasn't a teenager just yet. I wasn't a teenager just yet. And that was my, my first brush with it. And so I remember kind of standing up and kind of like, almost like, what you say? After they drove off and the Joker drove back around and got out his truck. And my buddy ran into the house and I was standing there by myself. Nothing happened. Talked a little trash and got back in the truck and sped off. Um, but I had to stop my mom from, <laughs> I, had to, I had to stop my mom. Um, we didn't call the police. We didn't call the police that day. We let it ride. I remember with my friend, Marcus Brown, I met him in seventh grade at Webster Intermediate. Really good friends. We're still cool to this day. Um, me, Marcus, and Maurice became real close in the seventh grade because I didn't go to elementary school in the community, uh, but I started meeting those guys when I got to middle school. And one summer, uh, Marcus and I, I don't think Maurice was with us, but one summer Marcus and I was, we were going house to house. We were on a bicycle, it was a hot summer, and we were going house to house, knocking on doors, asking people if we could mow their lawn, because we were trying to earn extra money during the summer. We didn't have anything to do. We weren't going to summer school. All we were doing was going to the pool or going to hoop somewhere, and that was it. But we decided we were going to start a lawn care business. And we scoured that neighborhood um, and knocking on doors. And it was just no after no after no after no. And we're getting around this corner. And every once in a while, we'll look up and see this white suburban. And it kept popping up in places. you know. But we noticed it, but didn't think anything of it. Um, and so we got around one corner, and we see it parked. Um, kind of perpendicular to where we are. So we're on the street going this way, and then there's another street going into a community called Sage Meadow, and we saw this white suburban parked there. And it was a white lady sitting in the suburban. So we assumed that was, you know, neighborhood watch, just riding around. That's what we had back then, neighborhood watch. What we didn't know is that coming up behind us was the Harris County Constable. And he pulled up on us while we were on our bikes and hopped out of his car didn't take out his gun, but he took the latch off and said, throw your bikes in the yard. And I know I replied. I don't remember what Marcus said. I remember stuff that I said. 
So let me speak for myself. So I'm not going to put Marcus out there. Um, but our first thing I, I probably said was, this is not our yard. And they're like, I don't care. Throw your bike in the yard. What are y'all doing? Uh, we both answered probably kind of sheepishly like a bunch of innocent kids. It's, and we're going house to house trying to ask people if we can cut their grass because we want to earn money for the summer. And he put us on the, on the back of the car and made us put our hands on the trunk and spread our legs. We're in shorts and t-shirts. And this is in early, no, this is in like 89. So, you know, those shorts weren't long, right? And, and it's hot. And he said, uh, he, he starts to pat us down. He starts to pat us down and asks us, do we have any guns on us? No, I mean, we're in shorts and a t-shirt and these are small clothes. I mean, we're, you know, 12 years old. Do you have any knives? Then he said, do you have any grenades? And that's what I said. And I turned to him. I said, where, where, where in the world are we going to get grenades? And if we got grenades, where are we going to put them? We have on shorts and a t-shirt. Like, you're asking really ridiculous questions. Grenades? Are you serious? Um, and then he put us in the back of the car. And motions to the neighborhood watch lady and I could see her point like yeah them them and I said and I, this, by this time I'm livid but I'm watching my tone but I am I am I'm burning hot and I said why are we back here why are we in this car why are we patting that what, what, what do we do wrong well we got reports that you all were breaking in people's houses stealing TVs and microwaves and, and appliances and I said where did we put them who, and who told you that? I said, is it that white lady down there that you're talking to in that white suburban? And we went back and forth a couple of times, and he eventually let us out the car, and we rode on home, and we never tried that again. We never tried to cut grass again. Never tried, never, never tried to do it again. We probably could have been millionaires by now, but we never tried that again. You know, I, I remember, you know, being in the yard, and I wasn't really scared then. I was angry. I remember being in the back of that police car that day. I wasn't scared of that cop. I was, I was angry. I was really angry. There, there was a time when um, I'm, I'm out of college now, and, I, and I'm, I'm home, and I'm working on my master's degree, and I go to wash my car, and I'm driving through the community, going to the car wash, and I didn't put my seatbelt on. So I'm at a stop sign. I see the Harris County Constable again. They always patrol the neighborhood. And when I went through the stop sign, he pulled me over. I said, golly, I'm going to get popped for the seatbelt. No big deal. I was wrong. I didn't have my seatbelt on. I knew it. And um, um, I, I know the protocol. Uh, me and my father have the talk. And I've had the talk with my son and the boys that I mentor. So I have my license and my insurance in my hand. And I have my hands on the wheels at 10 and 2. The car is off. The radio is off. The window is down. It's broad daylight in the middle of July. I remember like it was yesterday. And I have my hands here, and he comes and says, uh, license and registration. So I just do that, boom, and I'm back, right here. Window down, I'm looking at him in the side view mirror, and he's taking a long time. My arm's getting tired, but, you know, I, I, it's important that I make sure he sees my hands. I don't want any misunderstandings, right? He comes back with his pistol drawn out and yells at me, get out of the effing car, get out of the car now, get out of the car, with his pistol aimed at my head. I don't remember how far it was, but it was close enough that I could see. I know what a 45 looks like when I see a 45. And I didn't know cops carry a 45, but he had a 45. And I'm looking at it, and for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm not afraid. 
But I tell him, I said, I'm not moving my hands because I, I feel like if I move my hands, you're going to shoot me. I remember saying that. Open the door, get out of the car. Get out of the car now. Open the door. I said, I'm not moving. We can sit here all day. But I'm not moving my hands. And people are driving by. They're looking. They're peeking in. You know, there was, that wasn't the time of cameras and all of that stuff. But they're peeking and driving slow. And he is yelling at me, barking at me. And I said, I got an idea. I'm not afraid, y'all. I'm telling y'all. I got an idea. How about you open the door and I will stick my hands out of the door as you open the door. And then you can grab me and do whatever else you need to do. But I'm not moving and you got a gun drawn at me and I feel like if I move, you're going to shoot me. So he does. He comes, opens the door, grabs me out, pats me down, cuffs me up and throws me in the back of the car. And so I'm in the back of this police car in the middle of July. He got that window closed, so I'm not getting any air. So I'm back there sweating. My hands are turning purple because the cuffs are tight. Um, and I said, now that you feel, I kind of banged my head on the window. I said, now that you feel safe, can you tell me why I'm in the back of this car? These were his, his exact words. He said, you fit the description of somebody who's been reported as stealing cars. I said, okay. What's the description? Black male, average height, low cut. I said, that's every male in my family reunion. I fit the description. I, and he closed the window. And I sat in the back of that police car for about 40 minutes as he tried to find something. He tried to find something. He didn't find anything. And he let me out, gave me the ticket, <laughs> wrote me the citation for the, the seatbelt, and then he said, I'm sorry for misunderstanding. And I called him by his badge number, and I said, F you. He reached out to shake my hand. And I said, F you to that cop. And I got in my car and went and washed it. Very, very strange day. Very strange. I, I remember being in Baton Rouge. I don't mean to, I hope I'm not boring you, but I remember being in Baton Rouge. And I was coming from a friend's house. It must have been about one in the morning. I wasn't feel it, really familiar with Baton Rouge streets. And um, I, I made a turn trying to get back to Plank Road and ended up in a neighborhood that I wasn't familiar with. I'm kind of lost and confused. And so somewhere in the middle of that neighborhood, I, made a just, I just made a quick U-turn to get back out so I can find a main road. As I'm traveling after that bad turn, out of nowhere, woo, I see the red and blues come on. I see the lights come on. I said, okay. Um, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I, now I'm a little nervous. And there's nobody around here. I'm a little nervous, right? But I go through the routine still, 10 and 2, license registration, all that stuff. And so my car's off, the, the dome light is on, and all I hear is the speaker says, open the door, step out of the car, and walk backwards with your hands up. I said, okay. Strangely enough, I'm still not afraid. I'm still not afraid. But this is concerning because I'm not, I haven't, I don't, I, didn't, I, I don't feel like I broke a law. So, you know, what's going on? I, sh I should be okay. And so I do just what they said. I stick my hands out. I open the door. I walk out with my hands up, walking backwards. And then I get grabbed and slammed on to my trunk and patted down. And when I turn my head, because my head is on my trunk facing the hood. But when I turn and look toward the back of my car, there are four police cars with cops at their doors, shotguns and pistols. I said, um, can, you, can you tell me what this is about? I said, where are you coming from? Coming from a friend's house. Where are you going? 
back to campus. What are you doing here? I'm a student at Southern University. My ID is in the truck. I mean, in the car. Why you got these Texas plates? Because I'm from Texas. That's what my license says. You need to register your vehicle. I don't intend on staying here. Uh, when I finish school, I'm planning on going back to Texas. What does this stop for? Well, people that's in Louisiana with Texas plates typically are moving drugs. So we want to check and see. So y'all got me on suspicion. Oh, and the turn you made was illegal. You're free to go. You be careful. Register your plates. That's one, two, three, four instances I gave you of my life. And that's not all of them. Where I've almost lost my life or been in real brutal danger at the hands of police officers. All of whom happen to be white. Strangely enough, I wasn't afraid in any of those situations. I was probably more nervous once I processed what happened than I was in the actual situation. Let me, let me explain something to you. The purpose of, of abuse and brutality uh, is to strike fear into the hearts of people that are under another person's authority. That authority person may believe them to be inferior but to make sure that the other person knows that they do things to strike fear into the supposed inferior. That's what some people in authority do. And that's what I felt like was happening to me. But though those are my stories, those are not new stories. Uh, that's exactly what happened in slavery uh, with the beatings and the, and the whippings and the castration uh, and the raping. It was done in open plain sight for the intent of bruising a group of people psychologically to make them feel, one, less than human, two, inferior, but to strike fear in them so that they would never rise up, move, protest, fight for what's right, those kind of things. It happened in lynching, the strange fruit that's talked about in, in, in the songs, uh, in, in Billie Holiday's song and, and other people that have rewritten it. It's hanging there intentionally during the day, so you can see black bodies beaten and bloodied. Sometimes tarred or, or put honey on and bees and birds flying around them so that when people walk by, then you will be afraid. Because this is what happens to black people if you do A, B, and C. It's a strike fear. They did it to Emmett Till for allegedly whistling at a white woman. And they beat him and threw him in the river to strike fear, to make sure that you black boys, you black men, you make sure that you never do this because if this is what you do, this is what will happen to you. During the protests of the 50s and the 60s, you, you got hoses and police dogs sick on people to keep people silent and keep them from exercising their, their citizen right and the First Amendment is to protest against what's wrong and what's unjust. But if you come out here and protest, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to get brutalized. So anybody else that's thinking like that, let me let you know what's going to happen to you. They did it to our leaders, to Martin, to Medgar, 
to Malcolm and so many others, whether it was a real assassination or it was a character assassination, they did it to the Panthers, Cointel Pro. They did it to strike fear so that anybody else that would think of rising up against injustice or bad laws, this is what will happen to you. But, but, but I'm, I'm resolute today. I have, I have a better resolve today than I have over the last couple of days. It was sparked by my brother Brent Gilmore when he read in Devotion on Sunday. Uh, and I happened to be watching uh, Lily Grove this Sunday after I watched my home church Harvest Point. But I, I watched it and he, and he struck a chord with me. And, and oftentimes people will, we will say that um, faith and fear can't reside in the, in the same place, right? Like if, if you have faith and you have no fear, but if you have fear, you have no faith. And I'm not going to stand here and challenge that, but I want to uh, offer an idea that can I move forward even if there is fear? And if so, isn't that called courage? That I, that I move forward anyway? I know God has not given me the spirit of fear. I know that. But there are times when I'm afraid. But I'm going to say this to you today. On June 2nd, 2020. That I am more resolute. And I know I'm not the only one. But I am more resolute today. Than I have been on any other day. But I got Bible for it. You mind if I give it to you? I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it to you tonight. And we're going to be done. I'm going to tell you why I'm not afraid. Psalm 27. I'm going to read a few verses if you don't mind. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. I'm not afraid. I got the Lord with me not afraid because of who he is. He is my light. He is my salvation. And he is my strength. And when the wicked, the enemies, my foes, have a plan to devour me, as much as they try to finish the mission, they stumble and they fall. And that has proved to be my testimony thus far in my life in situations like these. That as much as they had ill intent, they fail every time. And I have confidence 
not in me and what I'm doing right, but I have confidence because I have the presence of the Lord in the form of light, in the form of salvation, and in the form of strength. What I desire, what most believers desire is that to, to be in his house or to be in his presence perpetually, all the time, in fellowship, dwelling in the house of the Lord. Not just talking to him, but just being in awe of who he is to behold his beauty of the presence of God. But this is why we want to be in the presence of God, to behold his beauty, to be in that tabernacling space with him. Because in the time of trouble, he has promised to protect me. In the time of trouble, he has promised to hide me. He hides me in his pavilion. That's the front part of the temple. It's open, but everybody can't get in there. But there may be one or two that don't belong in there. They can still have access. So I'm hidden in plain sight. So you may see me, but you can't get to me. But then if you try to get to me, then he hides me in the secret place where nobody can come. That's just me and him. That's the intimate place. So though maybe in the pavilion you may have intentions to harm me physically, but when I get to the secret place, you can't touch me physically, but you can't touch my spirit or my soul either. And even then, he'll set me upon a rock. You can see me, but I'm so high, you can't get close to me. And it's not because I'm so right or because I'm so perfect or because I'm so anything, but because I'm in his presence and I'm his child. And it's not just me, but that's for every blood-bought believer. That no matter what the trouble is, you can't see me. When I think about those stories, I honestly think that those are places where I could have been the hashtag. I could have been the shirt. I could have been brutalized. I could have been in the hospital. I could have been put in the wheelchair. I could have been wrongly accused. All of those things could have happened to me, but for whatever reason, they did not. And it's not because of anything that's so good about me. It just didn't happen. I, I, I can imagine, George, I know... From what I've heard about him, what I've read about him, I'm sure he wasn't afraid, but there's a moment where fear got into him because now his life was being taken from him. I can imagine Brianna certainly was not afraid. She was in at home. I can imagine Aubrey, Ahmad Aubrey wasn't afraid. He was doing what he probably normally does. I can imagine that all of these people, Trayvon, they're not afraid because they were doing what they normally do. They're going through life. And sometimes it ends badly. But let me tell you something. He who can touch the body has no control over the soul. And so though I move unafraid and you may take me from this physical place, that's okay because I'm going to the ultimate secret place and I'm okay with that. Maybe that's why I'm not afraid. Because though you may harm my body, you can't touch my soul. You can't touch my mind. You can't touch my spirit. You can't have it. So I'm not afraid to, to walk in my community. I'm not afraid to ride my bike with my buddies. I'm not afraid to sit on the outside of a coffee shop. I'm not afraid to allow my children to go around the corner. I'm not afraid to speak truth to power. I'm not afraid to live as a citizen. I'm not afraid. I'm not fearing any man. 
I can, I can hear the echoes of Dr. King before he was assassinated. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. God is presence. And he has me in the hollow of his hand. I'm not afraid. I'm made in this image. I'm a child of the king. And that's a fact. Whether somebody doesn't like that or not, you don't have to believe I'm made in this image. His word says I'm in this image. I'm not afraid. Got two words. No fear. Thank you for tuning in. Most of that was self-talk. You know how to find me. There's no promos tonight. You already know about the right camp. But you know how to find me if you, if you need me. Tune in next week. We'll pick up on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Until then, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Peace.